0: Now we're gonna be in the book of Micah continuing our series, uh, Who is a God Like You? And that is uh, that title comes from the very last chapter in the concluding verses of the book of Micah uh, where he says who is a God like you and then describes uh, God in beautiful ways but it's also a play on his name. Micah literally translated as who is like Yahweh and that's Micah's primary job is to help other people, not in looking closely at him and in examining him, saying, wow, what a special person Micah is, but that he has this message that is supposed to help the people of his day say, who is a God like our God? Because so many of them had drifted into a posture of still worshiping the God of Israel, but no longer exclusively, and getting increasingly comfortable worshiping many different gods, sort of covering all of their bases. And it's Micah's primary task to remind them that no, there is no other God like our God. He is the one and only worthy of our exclusive worship. We come to it uh, at this Advent season because it's specifically then in chapter five where the announcement of a new king and a new ruler that would come from Bethlehem is found in the Old Testament and we'll look at that next week. But today we're in chapters three and four uh, for this morning Uh, in Chapter three, uh, this is verse one. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? And just so you know, because we're considering two chapters, we're not gonna read all the verses of both chapters, but jump down to verse eight if you have a Bible in front of you. Then we read this, uh, which is a description of Micah for himself, but as for me, I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. One of the things that Micah chapter three focuses on in a unique way is he's challenging all of us to consider what makes a leader. Uh, At the verse one he addresses all the leaders, the heads of the houses and the rulers of Israel and then as The passage unfolds, he has a lot of critique of those leaders. Uh, Further down, then beginning in chapter 9, he renames them again and says, listen you rulers of Israel, and he specifically addresses the priests, he addresses the heads of the household, he addresses the prophets, and he's looking around in his day and he's saying there has been a failure on the part of the leadership of the people of God in his time. And what's interesting about Micah is that uh, last week as we looked at the, the opening of the book, Micah's introduced by where he's from, a small town called Moresheth, but we don't actually uh, get any more biographical information about him. And so one of the ways in ancient times that they would have answered this question, what makes a leader? Well, you become a leader if the people before you were a leader. You know? So if your dad was king and then you were born in his house, well, you're the prince and you're gonna be the next leader or if in your family there was a priest and you were born in that house, well then you're going to be a future priest. And most leadership responsibilities were connected to the family that you were born into. But Micah's looking at it in his own day and he's realizing that the people who have all those positions aren't doing what God would want them to do with those positions of authority. And he's calling out the leaders of his day for their, their tolerance of the sinfulness that is going on and the division that's taken place. And when we look at Micah himself and we realize we know almost nothing about Micah. We don't know who his mom and dad were. We don't get this pedigree that helps us say, well of course Micah should be the leader. Except we get this description in verse eight that we read together. He said, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. And we realize that Micah is embodying what real leadership is. Whether his background gives him the credentials to do it or not, he's living in a time when the people who should be leading aren't. And he is a vessel available to God, to be used by him, to be filled with his spirit, and to declare his word. And by his willingness ultimately to get his leadership, not from where he was born or what school he graduated from, but from the God who made him and who gave him his spirit, Micah becomes exactly the leader that the people of Israel need. And there were others, there was Isaiah and others, but it was the same reality that what made them the leaders of their day that we would now, well over 2,000 years later, still open up books and read what they had to say is not because of the specific house they were born in or who their parents were, but because in their day and age, they were available to God to be used by him to speak the truth. And that's what makes a leader someone completely trusting in God and willing to do whatever he calls them to do whether or not anyone else would have picked them for that task they they rise to that task and so it's one thing to be given the position of a title of CEO or this or that and then realize but nobody likes to work for you and no one is excited to ever meet with you or follow after you you have the title but there's not a lot of people who are craving to be with you and to do what you do And then you encounter people who you're not sure where they came from. You don't actually know how much authority they have, but people are drawn to them. They want to be with them and they want to follow after them. And those are the people that are actually leading. Whether they have the title or not, just by their life and their personality, their generosity of spirit to other people, wow, when you see this man or woman, you see people who want to be with them who want to get counsel from them. Those are the kinds of leaders we need. Now, ideally, we take those people and we make them the leaders <laughs> because they exhibit those characteristics. That's basically what the New Testament uh, encourages us when we think about leadership in the local Is Don't look for someone who would never do any of these things and then hope that if you just throw a title on it, that then all of a sudden, they're gonna care to be Christ-like. No, 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 look around and just say, who's... Who's the ordinary average person? Not where they were born, not who their parents were per se, but who do you see following after Christ, yielded to him and willing to speak the truth that he compels him to do? Well, those are the people that you would want to make leaders because then you know that when they're in leadership, rather than using their authority to take advantage of everyone for their own good, They're willing to take seriously their responsibility to do the best for the most amount of people, even if it requires a sacrifice on their part. Those are the leaders we need. And I submit to you as Christians, that question of what makes a leader could also be restated, just what makes a mature person? What makes an adult? How are we trying to raise our kids and grandkids? What are we holding out to them as, this is how you know that you're doing what God wants you to do. There's not just a number on that. Oh, well, just as soon as you turn 18, you know everything you need to know. Or as soon as you get a college degree, then you're gonna be ready. No, you can be 18, you can, be, you can have a college degree, you can be successful at work and all those things and still be immature and not embracing the calling to be the follower of Christ, leading in whatever sphere of authority you have in the way that God wants And so for us, it should not be primarily desiring titles or positions that come with them, but hoping to raise mature men and women in Christ that other people could look at them and say, I don't know a lot about you, but it is clear that the spirit of the Lord is upon you and you're willing to do what you believe God is asking you to do, that we would long for that for all of our people. So this is, if you have a Bible open, this is how Micah goes on to describe in verses nine and on of what's gonna happen now to Israel because of the failure of leadership. Hear this, you heads of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity, its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money, Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. And so one of the things that Micah is also highlighting is that some of these leaders have gone astray and not in a way that would be immediately obvious. They're actually... They're saying very nice things. They're, they're, they're smooth talkers. They're saying, hey guys, we're all gonna be okay. Don't worry about anything. So you wouldn't listen to them and say, it, it just kind of feels like they're in left field right now. You'd say, oh, that was really nice. They told me what I wanted to hear. They made promises to me that whether they're true or not, it just kind of gave me some comfort. And Micah's calling them out and saying, that's not your job <laughs> to just tell people what they wanna hear. And so just be willing to do whatever is asked of you. You have a responsibility to do what you know is right, whether people are ready to hear it or not. And so there's a discernment needed in our part to say, do I only wanna listen to the people who tell me what I want to hear? It's natural for most of us. None of us like getting criticized. None of us like feeling like we're being evaluated or judged. And in our freedom of movement, we can move around from one conversation to another and one relationship to another and one church to another and just kind of go after who is going to say what I want to hear rather than say who loves me enough to tell me what I need to hear. And that applies in every area of our lives to say I think it's actually better for me to hear criticism even though I don't want it and I don't crave it than to isolate myself from all the people who would be willing to speak the truth to me. And that was one of the struggles and the temptations that was present in Micah's day and it's still present in our day. But once this judgment happened, then we turn to chapter four and all of a sudden there's this amazing promise of a new thing that God is gonna do. And so this is the beginning of Micah chapter four. We read in the first two verses. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so where chapter three ended, it was judgment was gonna come such that the city was gonna be plowed to the ground. And now we come to chapter four and there's this promise that in the latter days, the mountain of the Lord is gonna be established and things are gonna be built back up again. And when they're built back up again, it says the peoples shall flow to it and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord. Last week, we talked about how in this time, as Micah's writing, the nation of Israel itself has been divided for generations. And there's a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. So even as as a people, they can't get along, and they've divided. And here, Micah promises that one day, the mountain of the Lord is gonna be established in such a way that peoples from all over are going to come. And there's gonna be this unity that's never been experienced before. And so that for me is the second question that uh, this text gets us to think about is not only what makes a leader, but what makes a people? What helps us feel like we belong to something and that holds us together in spite of all of our differences? Um, So for me having grown up and uh, my name is Peter for those of you who don't know me and are just visiting uh, but my parents were born in Eastern Europe and so when they gave me the name Peter, they gave it to me spelled the way my grandfather uh, spelled it which is P-E-T-A-R. Uh, And so even people now who meet me and they they want to then send me a text, like autocorrect doesn't let people spell my name the way it's spelled. Like it just forces it back to the uh, English spelling of P-E-T-E-R. And so I'll usually get like a text and then an apology afterwards, like, hey, I know how to spell your name. It just, my phone autocorrected it. Um, But growing up, I had the regular experience in public school that like when the teacher went through the list of names, both my first name and my last name are not the easiest to pronounce for the average teacher in public school. And so all kinds of names came out that I just was happy to respond to and say, yes, that's me. Please stop trying. Uh, I'll tell you. I can tell you later what that is. And so, for me, also, anytime we would have like gone on a road trip and we would have stopped at a rest area or something, and there would have been a stand with a bunch of keychains with names on it, like I just quickly learned, there is no point for me to go up and look at a whole bunch of keychains. Like, they won't have it spelled the way my name is spelled. And it's like I'm as American as it gets. I grew up here. I ate Lucky Charms growing up and uh, loved American movies and TV and stuff. And I know, I know from whence I came but I knew I could never find something like that with my name on it. And also then knew I am, I am from here, this is where I grew up, but there's also something about me that is a little bit different. And it wasn't until just uh, about four years ago when I traveled uh, back to the country that my parents are from, and I saw a stand of keychains, And I said, oh my goodness, I bet you I can go. And I did, I went and I found my name spelled correctly. And I was like, this is where I'm from. Like, these are my people. They know how to spell uh, my name this way. Uh, But it's things like that. It's our names, it's the food we grew up eating, it's the clothes we like to wear that we, helps us feel like we're part of something uh, bigger than just ourselves. And the promise here that Micah is speaking is that one day they, there will be a time when people from every nation will come together. Say, well how's that gonna happen? It's so hard to get along with people that you grew up with that you know really well, sometimes with your own family. how, What could possibly bring together people from a variety of nations? But I'll read the, the further description because it only gets better as it goes on in chapter four. It says, so for out of Zion will go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever in that day declares the Lord I will assemble the lame and gather those who've been driven away and those whom I've afflicted and the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. I mean, it's breathtaking that there will be a day when people from every nation will come to the mountain of the Lord and the people in every nation that are often the most neglected and marginalized. I'm going to bring back the lame. I'm going to bring back the outcast. You're also going to include the people that sometimes for many nations they have a terrible history of trying to exclude within themselves. Yeah. What could possibly do that? What could form a people like that? And it is God himself. It is that when he establishes his authority and his law is what goes forth and people live in the righteousness that he guides us with, people will be drawn to that. Just like they're drawn to leaders who actually know them and care about them and who long for their good, when it becomes clear that God has established in Mount Zion his law to go forth, and that he really does love us and he really does care about us that there will be a drawing to that that God alone can do that and as we pursue him together in worship he can unite us and say if it's not me trying to get you to kind of adopt my culture or vice versa and everyone worrying about how not to offend each other but all of us saying wherever you are born wherever you come from are you willing to pursue God together? Are you willing to worship him together and exalt him above all things? Yes, okay, well then it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter where I came from. I can teach you some of it if you want to hear about it and you find it interesting, I'll tell you about it. But it doesn't need to make you feel any barrier to get together with me and sing about the Lord who reigns on high as we did, that the nations will come and acknowledge his authority. This is the promise of Scripture, we see it in the life of Jesus, that when he came and offered healing to the lame and uh, included those who were outcast, he was bringing people together from all kinds of backgrounds. I'm currently uh, reading through a book that I'm finding really helpful called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers, but it talks about Uh, what Jesus was doing in his miracles while he was on this earth. And so this is a quote, uh, not from the author of the book, he's quoting someone else, a German theologian uh, called Jürgen Moltmann. And he says, when Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he is driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The lordship of God to which the healings witness restores creation to health. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. It's powerful. But the promise of Micah 4 that there would be a day when all nations would no longer learn war, that their swords would be beaten into plowshares, that everyone would live and not be afraid of anyone else is something that every one of us craves and longs for because that's how God made us originally in his garden, that we would not experience the pain of this world and the suffering of it and so we need God to come to show us what it's like to be the people that he desired originally for all of us to be. And looking a little bit differently, talking a little bit differently, being born in different place, none of that is a barrier. If over that are collective hearts that are pursuing God together, we can learn to beat our swords into plowshares. We can learn to interact with one another where though we're different, none of us has to be afraid of one another. We we long for that. And so then the last question is, well, what offers us hope that that would come? It it sounds ideal. There's many even organizations in the world that uh, would highlight that as an objective or a goal because even people who don't believe in God or specifically believe in Jesus can acknowledge how much better the world would be if the description of Micah four was really lived out. And so for me in conclusion where I reflected on as we think about Advent was Simeon in Luke chapter two. Here is someone who is also described kind of like Micah as filled with the spirit of the Lord, that he was given a prophecy that he would not pass until he saw part of the fulfillment of the Lord's Christ. And so when he has the opportunity to then see Jesus in the temple. This is what we read in Luke chapter two. It says, and he Simeon came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles And for glory to your people, Israel. So, as Simeon encountered Christ, at that point, still just a baby. For him, it was this realization that God is going to fulfill the promises he made. To create this new people. And that we have hope for that in the person of Jesus. Jesus. That when Jesus came this was good news A bright shining light for the Gentiles And glory for the nation of Israel That's what we celebrate That because of Jesus willing to come and be with us We have this hope Sure and steadfast Has it been fully realized? No But do we have every reason to believe it will be? Yes Let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we are amazed that we can look back even on your prophets of a long, long time ago and see what they longed for and desired in their own hearts was so much of what we long for. That when they were surrounded by death and disease and constant struggle and even civil war and grew weary and tired and longed for a day when all of that would be over, that we can read that this morning and and identify with that sense of longing that yearning to see peace on earth to see goodwill expressed toward humanity and we confess we are not able on our own to bring it about it can only come through you and by your grace and so we pray that you would help us to 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 foreshadow that for the world, to show them how in our love for one another, in our care and ability to come together in spite of our different backgrounds, in spite of our different preferences, laying that all aside to glorify you, to worship you, that it would be for this world a foretaste of what you promise for all of us in the new heavens and the new earth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.